Listener Production. Artificial intelligence can sound pretty scary. I mean, when you think about chat GPT stealing your job or deep fake videos going viral and destroying your reputation or even worse, rogue nations or terrorists killing us using AI weapons. Well, our guest today, who's one of the world's leading researchers on artificial intelligence, is here to explain why he thinks it will be a net positive on our lives and society in general. We're all going to have our own personal lawyer, accountant, tutor. We're going to be able to cure cancer. We're going to the latest antibiotic already discovered by a computer, not by a human. Artificial intelligence. What not to worry about. That is our briefing. First, here are today's big headlines. Hey, Tom. Hi, guys. It's Katrina Blowers here. And it is Tuesday, the 7th of November. Overnight, Anthony Albanese has met with China's President Xi Jinping in Beijing for just over an hour, and this is the first time an Australian PM has met with a Chinese leader in seven years. Now the China-Australia relationship has embarked on a right path of improvement and development. I'm heartened to see that. A healthy and stable China-Australia relationship serves the common interests of our two countries and two peoples. Yes, serving the common interests. Uh, He's vowed to improve China's relationship with Australia, which would end two years of diplomatic isolation that saw all ministerial contact cut off. The two governments are set to announce that ministerial dialogue will resume. And Tom Albanese said he also invited Xi to visit Australia. That would be a real turn of events. Yeah, it would be. So look, I think it's good that we're repairing our relationship with China, but obviously there are still issues that we need to be able to raise with them. But I think the best way to do that is to be able to sit down and talk. There was an interesting moment at the press conference after that meeting. Um, The Prime Minister was asked by Australian journalists whether uh, this means that he trusts Xi Jinping. And he wouldn't answer the question directly. He was asked it twice. Uh, The second time he said, Well, we have different political systems, but the engagement that I've had with China, with President Xi Jinping, has been positive. And then he went on to say it was constructive as well, but wouldn't quite land that phrase. That's something that Biden had been warning us about, you know, trust but verify were the words that Biden used. So, yeah, I guess we're still dancing around what that relationship really looks like. And the search for two people continues in Sydney after a horrific car crash. So two boys aged 10 and 15 died when a Ford Falcon hit a telegraph pole and tore the car into two. And it's understood the front seat passenger and driver survived, but allegedly fled the scene and haven't been found. Yeah, meanwhile, a vigil has been held overnight for the five people killed in the Victorian pub crash. We now know the victims were well-known members of Victoria's Indian community, three adults and two children, a girl aged nine and an 11-year-old boy. The mother of the girl, Pratiba Sharma, volunteered with a Sikh charity and at one stage she even ran for state parliament. Uh, They've been sitting at the Royal Hotel in Dalesford when a white BMW crashed into outdoor tables. Uh, The 66-year-old male driver of that car is due to be interviewed by police today. He's been recovering in hospital with shock. And is it the race that stops the nation or is it the interest rates that stop the nation? Uh, It so happens, um, which as an offer does, that there's a Reserve Bank meeting on the first Tuesday of November, same day as the race. 
And today, uh, most economists are expecting the rates to go up again. Um, They have been on a five-month pause, but uh, the recent inflation data suggests that they need to do more. So we're looking at the um, base interest rate going up from 4.1 to 4.35%. Ouch. Yeah, and even more ouch when you consider Westpac yesterday recorded a $7.2 billion profit, which is 26% higher than last year, partly due to those higher interest rates. Hmm. Uh, interestingly, the bank's executives were kind of defending that. They were saying, look, this is really good for the economy in the long run. We, we need a stronger banking system. Yeah, they are right about that. Um, they also argued that fewer mortgage holders are seeking emergency support and 70% are in fact ahead on their repayments. Mm. I'd argue, Tom, they might be ahead, but maybe by 50 cents. I don't know too many people <laughs> who are squirreling extra repayments away at the moment. Yeah, well, okay, 70% are ahead. What about the other 30%? I mean, that's millions of people who are not ahead on their mortgage repayments. Um, That's not just Mm. Westpac customers I'm talking about. They're across the whole sort of mortgage market. It's pretty scary times. A lot of people holding their breath. And while, while they're holding their breath, they're getting another punch in the stomach today. And now to the race rather than the rates. Uh, Weather is not looking good. Possible uh, severe storms could hit Melbourne this afternoon which could include hail. Not good for the outfits. Um, I was also hearing, uh, we should talk about, first of all, the, um, you know, it's going to kick off at three. That's some of the details. And also last year's winner, Gold Trippers, tipped as one of the favourites to win, along mm. with Vauban. Uh, and a change in dress code is being allowed. Apparently, oh. people are being allowed to wear shorts in, and both men and women, in um, the members' stands for the first time. So, don't know that shorts and hail go <laughs> together particularly well. Yeah, maybe it's not the right year to bring it in, but oh, shorts. I mean, it's um, yeah. I mean, maybe that's just waving the white flag and giving up on people looking <laughs> dignified. <laughs> At the races, it's all over. We're wearing shorts. It is. Next, it'll be thongs. Most people end up carrying their shoes at the end of the day anyway, so we might as well bring thongs in too. Well, yeah, you, obviously you pack some in your handbag. It's just a question of whether, you, what time you bring them out. All right, catch you later, Katrina. About to go deep um, with someone who knows a lot about AI. Toby Walsh is our guest. He's a professor of artificial intelligence at the University of New South Wales and the chief scientist of their AI Institute. And he's written a book. It's a really interesting one. It's called Faking It, Artificial Intelligence in a Human World. And I think basically it helps us understand what we should and we shouldn't worry about when it comes to this fast emerging technology. Toby Walsh, thanks for joining us on The Briefing. My pleasure. So we're going to get into a list of what you should and shouldn't worry about when it comes to AI, but your work starts by really questioning the name itself, artificial intelligence, whether it's really appropriate, whether intelligence is something that really can be replicated by machines or if we're talking about some sort of fake intelligence getting close but never really reaching it. Indeed. I mean... The name—it's a bit of an unfortunate name. I always thought because it's a—it's an invitation to have a joke about you know natural stupidity and, but increasingly I've grown to like the name. 
I mean, there's the word intelligence there, which is a bit problematic because mm. intelligence is not very well defined. So what is artificial intelligence? But increasingly, I, I, there's that other word that people don't really focus on. I think that's really important to think about artificial, the fact that it's going to be rather artificial, rather different to human intelligence. And there, there are, we're not the only intelligence on the planet, after all, let's remember that, you know, our family dogs somewhat intelligent, uh, dolphins are intelligent, whales are intelligent. There are plenty of other intelligent things, and their intelligence is different to ours. And so we shouldn't expect human intelligence to be the same as artificial intelligence. So I guess... The artificial part is a almost not that debatable. It's pretty clear it's artificial, but the intelligence part maybe has a few more <laughs> question marks. And we're implying when we say it that we're talking about replicating human intelligence, but, it's not, but not all human intelligence, because some of it's fairly simple and works quite well with binary code, zeros and ones. But I think we're really zoning in on the more uniquely human parts of intelligence Would you care to define what they are? That's a really great way to frame it, which is to think about there are some things that that make us special, that make us different to those machines. That Our emotional lives, we've got really rich emotional lives. We're conscious. Machines, as far as we can tell, are not conscious. Um, So there there are aspects, you know, our our social intelligence, our emotional intelligence, and perhaps as important as our our intellectual intelligence, our cognitive intelligence. Mm. Um, The the fact that we've come together and we work together in, first of all, in tribes and then in villages and then towns and cities, humanity has been able to achieve so much because we've worked together as a society. So I think, you know, if you... Look at the the book Sapiens by Yuval Harari. It, it really charts that journey in, in detail of of being people that could initially only connect and collaborate with our own families or the people in our own valleys, our own tribes. And then what took us to the top of the pyramid of all the other animals on this planet is our ability to connect with broader communities further from our own. We developed all these systems like language, currency, law. So is that the kind of stuff that machines will really never get close to or not? I think we should see it as a tool. Just as language is a tool, books are a tool that have allowed us to amplify our intelligence and our social intelligence, our society. And so we've now got probably what I suspect is going to be one of the most powerful tools because uh-huh. it can make decisions. Um, it, it's you know got phenomenal memory. I would love artificial intelligence to be actually... AI to become augmented intelligence, that we're using it to amplify ourselves further. So that's a really interesting way to frame it, to compare it to these other big revolutionary inventions like language way back, Mm -hmm. like the book more recently. And I imagine at those points in history, there was a lot of fear as well about what these new inventions might do to destroy our society. So are we just having another one of those moments where we see something new, we worry about it, and then we realize it just evolved our lives in a way that those other inventions had throughout history? Or, as I think the real paranoia is suggesting, is this a whole nother level because the the artificial element could build on its own intelligence and take us past the, the singularity? It's a great comparison. So if we compare it to, say, when we invented the printing press, I think it's reasonable to suppose it's going to be as revolutionary as that. And there were people who were very concerned that that was going to upset society. And it did. I mean, we lost the oral tradition. We No one sits around remembering stories and saying them over the campfire. But we got, in return, a, a wonderful gift. We got literature. We got science. We got, you know, encyclopedias of knowledge that could be transmitted across generations. 
there were significant problems, you know. Well, for priests <laughs> who spoke Latin and yes. got to have all the power. <laughs> and, you know, that, that, uh, those printing presses were used to print propaganda and to incite, you know, to print you know, manuals for how to, how to burn witches. And many witches were burned, unfortunately. Mm, okay, bad for priests and witches. <laughs> but, uh, but the net effect was, was fantastic. You know, we got uh, science and technology, engineering, um, life expectancy has improved dramatically. Our quality of life, we live like kings and queens now compared to back then. Uh, so it was, you know, the net effect was 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 great. Although there were people who did, you know, suffer as well in the course. And so we need to think, I think, in similar ways here. This time it's going to be a net positive, but that doesn't mean there aren't things to worry about, and there aren't going to be things that are going to cause concern. Okay, a net positive. So you're suggesting that the things we should worry about are less concerning than the things we oh, shouldn't worry the, about. The, I mean, the ultimate is, is, is going to be fantastic. You're going to have, you know, we're all going to have our own personal lawyer, accountant, <laughs> tutor. We're going to be able to cure cancer. We're going to, the latest antibiotic already, discovered by a computer, not by a human. We're going to be able to transform the way that we live. The computers can do all the dirty, dull, difficult, dangerous things, the four Ds as we call them. And we can sit back and hopefully, uh, you know, continue to improve the quality of our lives. Well, that's been the promise with so many technologies, including the vacuum cleaner. <laughs> but we still seem to work just as hard. But is that just a function of us working harder on different and less banal things? Well, that's, that's interesting you pointed out. I mean, people forget that weekend was an invention of the Industrial Revolution. Before the Industrial Revolution, people worked seven days a week. Then, because of the productivity benefits of, of industrialization, workers, starting in the northeast of England, demanded Sunday off to go to church, mm. then Saturday afternoon to rest, and then all of Saturday. And then, I don't know what happened. Something interesting happened, but we stopped at that point. We decided that was enough. Well, we're back on it now with the four-day work week. Exactly. And and the discovering with the four-day work week, two remarkable facts. One, one is that people are just as productive in four days of work as five. They stop having all those bullshit meetings and get down to it. <laughs> so the consequence of that is that you can pay them. They don't have to take a pay cut. You can pay them just as much because they're just as productive. And secondly, and this is, who would have imagined this? People are happier. When you get to the end of your working Whatever life. Whatever that means. Well, you know, you don't, you know, when you get to the end of your retire, you don't say, you know what? I'm happy. I should have spent more time in the office. People say, no, I should have spent more time with my family. I should have yeah. spent more time in my community. So you're saying, okay, it's going to be a net positive. We shouldn't worry as much as maybe our um, instincts are telling us to right now, but there are things to worry about and we should 100%. fix them or balance them out with other policy ideas. That's what I'm hearing from you. So let's drill in on mm -hmm. that. You talk about some of the things we should be worried about or can already worry about, like deep fakes. So what are the most dangerous elements of AI and how should we neutralise them? Well, yeah, you, you, put, you named, I suspect, what is the most pressing uh, thing that really does worry at the moment, which is the rise of misinformation, AI-powered misinformation, deep fakes. We've already seen that picture of the Pope in a puffer jacket wasn't real, hmm. it was made by an AI. But now we've got fake video, fake uh, voice. Now we're going to very soon be in a world in which anything you see, anything you see online, anything you see digital, mm. anything you hear, you have to entertain the idea it's made up. Mm. It's not real. And it's going to be indistinguishable from the real things. What sort of world is that when you can't trust anything you see or hear anymore? Well, people think we're already there. <laughs> so is it going to change the world that much? <laughs> 
Well, there's a little bit of me hopes that social media gets just so full of this stuff that everyone realises that's the place where we're entertained. Nothing is to be believed there. Then come back to us journalists for the real exactly. source of truth. Exactly. It is the opportunity <laughs> for old-fashioned old fashioned journalists to pick up the mantles. If people want to find out what is news, what is real, what listen is to the, me. Listen, yeah, come and listen to the briefing. <laughs> is that really the biggest concern of, about AI, misinformation? I mean, what, there must be many other things that it can do that could be problematic. Oh, I think that that's very pressing because we've, we've half... That's one we sort of are very cognizant of. It's very obvious in, and sort of very in front of our eyes. Yeah. But aren't there deeper concerns? Yeah. I mean, I'm also very concerned about the way it's going to transform warfare. I'm worried yes. about the way that it's going to um, change the nature of work and whether we're going to have perhaps a hollowing out of the middle that we, you know, people thought originally that robots were going to take, you know, jobs in factories. And there's a certain truth to that. If you go into a car factory today, not that we have car factories in Australia, but if you go into a car well, factory... That's point in itself, but yeah. If you go into a car factory, the robots are doing the welding and the painting. If you go into a warehouse, right, if you go into a new warehouse in Australia today, it's robots that are going around picking up the pieces. But increasingly we're seeing machines, computers, take on some more, more cognitive tasks, the sorts of things that entry-level lawyers used to do, things mm. that copywriters used to do, things mm. that designers used to do. Um, things that you know, people would go to university to do. And so I do fear that there might be a, what you know is called the hollowing out of the middle, those, those jobs in the middle, that people might have thought that they were safe will actually discover that machines are coming for those jobs as well. To sum it up, the thesis I'm hearing from you now and in your book is that, like many other big technological revolutions, we will be okay, but there are some things to watch out for. And we touched on this a moment ago. What are the problems we need to fix? Let's just get a let's just get a final list. You mentioned deep fakes and misinformation. You mentioned its potential to impact warfare uh, and create, you know, very dangerous killing machines essentially that maybe get out of the control of the people who introduce them and change the character of war as well. You know, I, if we know what that looks like, Hollywood told us told us what that looks like. It's going to look terrible. It's going to look like swarms of robots that are killing humans at, at machine speed, not at human speed. It's going to completely change the the speed, the character of warfare. It's not going to make us safer. It's actually going to uh, encourage warfare. And are there any other things we need to solve before we can get on and enjoy the fruits of their labour? And the impact it's going to have in employment and and how we're going to manage that transition. Make that fair. No, You've said that you know, probably the expectation is more jobs will be created. And I'm hopeful that more jobs will be created and lots of interesting jobs. But the challenge, I think the real challenge and the conversation we really should have is how do we support people through the transition? Because the, whilst we don't know, there's huge uncertainty as to you know, the net impact on jobs that AI is going to have. There is absolute one certainty, which is it's going to be disruptive that the new jobs that get created will require completely different skills than the old jobs that got taken away. And then how do we support people? And the problem there is if you look at the history of similar transformations, technological-driven transformations in the past, it is, has often been in the case that the people who lost their jobs never got employed again. It was only the next generation who came along who were skilled, who, who educated to do those new jobs. And so we want to try and make this one a bit better so that people are supported through the transition. How, we, how do we do that? Great to speak to you, Toby. Thank you. My pleasure. Toby Walsh talking about his book, Faking It. Now, I think it was really interesting to compare this technological change with the other big ones we've been through throughout human history. I guess the big difference with this one is the pace of change. And that's something he does touch on in the book, but we didn't get time to talk about in the interview. 
This one is coming really, really fast. You just have to look at the tank up of ChatGTP uh, as an example of that. So with this big change, say compared to the printing press, this one with its fast pace could have a lot more intense growing pain that may leave bigger scars. Listener.